When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What's up, everybody? This is Jamie on the Lightning Round podcast, uh, the walkthrough, week eight. Here to talk Chargers and Bears with EJ Snyder from Bears Over Beers. So, EJ, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for joining me. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. It's uh, it's a good one. Well, it's my pleasure to have you on. Like I said, we had a lot of uh, recommendations in our Discord from people who said that we should have you on to talk bears. So here we are, and I'm looking forward to getting started. You ready? I'm all set. Let's hit it. All right. Well, 
I guess the best place to start with the Bears, in my opinion, is their new quarterback, Tyson Badgett. So why don't you talk a little bit about Tyson, what he's doing well right now, what he might struggle with, um, and what the Chargers should look out for with the Bears' new quarterback. Yeah, Bajan is going to be a new study uh, for the defense. He is a D2 guy, came from Shepard, got an invite to the Senior Bowl, which is rare for D2 guys, uh, showed that he had some makeup, ended up being an undrafted free agent, showed in camp for the Bears that he was very good in terms of decision-making and just sort of adopting the offense in a hurry, which is a challenge, I think, for any rookie. He showed enough in the early preseason that they let P.J. Walker go, who's a guy they signed for a decent contract, who's now with Cleveland, and were comfortable running with the rookie as number two and comes out in his first full start against the Raiders and I think showed most of those qualities, showed the ability to go from read to read, showed cool-headedness in the pocket, showed accuracy, largely on short throws though that's what he did to keep the offense going well he avoided negative plays which is huge for a rookie and he completed short passes and by short passes i mean he had only four passes all day that passed the 10 yard mark only two of them were completed everything else was below 10 most everything else was below six <laughs> his average depth of target was four point something on the day so it was a really short passing game he did go through his reads. His average time to throw is a little bit higher, but normally with a rookie, that's because they don't know what they're seeing. With him, it was because he was going through his reads and often hitting the third or fourth one, which, again, is not very common. So I think he brings cool demeanor, accuracy, ability to function within the offense in the short to hopefully medium game. <laughs> Other than that, we don't know. All right, so you mentioned the short passing game. How are they getting to the short passing game? Because there's lots of different ways to do that. Are they throwing a lot of like wide receiver screens and running back screens? Is it slant, stick? How are they getting there? Yeah, so we've only got a week's worth of data, but uh, a lot of quick outs, speed outs. Darnell Mooney got into the game plan for the first time really all season. He's had just a few catches. Hasn't really seemed to mesh with Justin Fields that well after, again, a very good rookie season for Mooney and then an injury just hasn't sort of clicked. Comes in with Tyson Bajant, has, you know, four four catches, but all catches that move the offense forward. He looked charged up. Some wide receiver screens, more running back screens, um, not too many spot concepts in terms of stick, hook. Um, you know, they just don't have too many guys that, do the zone float thing really well. They're better in man when they can run guys across. Of course, defense isn't always going to give them that. And then pretty much anywhere you hit DJ Moore, he's going to be able to get yards after the catch because he's just that guy. Um, but everybody played extremely hard last week, which has not been present. We've seen some players play hard some weeks, others other weeks, but not all the way across the board. Wide receivers, tight ends, running backs, everybody – you know, going through contact, twisting for the extra yard. It was really evident that everybody seemed to kind of want to pull the offense forward in a way that hadn't been present earlier in the season. And that's really what powered them. It's not that these were great passing concepts. Guys were wide open. They were covered. They caught the ball. They fought through contact. They made extra yards. And that was what kept the chains moving. So I'm curious, no Justin Fields. you got a first-time starting quarterback in. You mentioned that guys were fired up to move the offense along. Is that a Justin Fields issue with guys not buying into Justin Fields? Is it 
just a fresh start and everybody's trying to prove themselves. What, what do you think that's about? I don't know. And it's again, with one week's worth of, you know, data or early returns, I'm not willing to pass judgment on what that's about. Cause I'm not in that room. I think the team was very aware that if they were going to have success that day, that's what it was going to require. They couldn't just, I, I don't think anybody is going to mistake Tyson Bajant for Justin Fields. <laughs> and they all realized, Hey, if, if we're going to win today, we got to, we got to carry the rookie, right? We got to, we got to take what he gives us. And he did bring energy. He was charged up and he certainly seemed to have the leadership factor. I think Justin has that as well, but I think everybody around him was aware that, Hey, if I don't do my part today, we're not, we're, we don't have any chance for a W. So I'm not willing to say it's a Tyson versus Justin thing. That's been a, a sort of, I think, common undercurrent this week. I'm not willing to throw my hat in that ring with only one week's worth of data, but they're going to have to do it again unless Tyson Bajan finds his sort of mid to deep passing arm, which he didn't really display all that much at Shepard. He was incredible. He was prolific, extremely productive. But a lot of that came from short to medium, mastery of the offense, great timing, solid accuracy, getting his ball to his playmakers and letting them make plays. He's not a bomber. He's never been, a you know, for lack of a better term, a Justin Herbert that can really <laughs> rip it down the field. So interesting. Um, gosh, I just lost my train of thought. Um, talking about, you, you mentioned what they were doing for Bajit to, to get him going. You mentioned what he does well. So it sounds to me like they're, they're putting him in a position by understanding what he does well and asking him to do the things that he does well. Does that sound fair? It is. And they, I think most importantly, they didn't ask him to do what he doesn't do well. They didn't ask him to do a lot of low percentage throws. They didn't ask him to throw into tight coverage or bad leverage, which again, top quarterbacks in the league are going to separate themselves on those throws. They're going to throw it anyways and complete it. They just stayed away from that largely. Again, there was only four chances down the field and none of them were very far down the field and only a couple were completed. So they just kept it simple, kept it straight, said, you know, go through your reads, hit guys underneath, let them make plays. Don't try and do too much. And that's often rookies undoing. And to his credit, he didn't do it. He didn't, he didn't step off the dock and, you know, good for him. And the bears come away with a W because of it. Well, that's a novel concept. Cause one thing the chargers aren't doing much of is putting any of their players in a position to succeed. So <laughs> hearing that, that your coaches are finding out what guys do well and asking them to do those things. Uh, it makes me sad for, for charger fans. Cause that's not what we're getting here. Uh, but I'm glad bear bears fans are at least getting that. We got a week worth of it. It is a new thing on our sideline as well. It has not been a common theme throughout this season, as evidenced by the Bears' play in the first month of the season. I would say the antithesis of that was true. The opposite was true. They seem to have a plan or very little plan, almost no plan, especially for the first game of the season. Packers, you've got all summer to prepare. Rival coming to your house. Everybody's got the playbook. Coaching staff is solid. Your quarterback is the same. Everything's set up for you to really put a, you know, hopefully good-looking show together. It looked exactly the opposite from week one. It looked disjointed. It looked like guys weren't on the same page. Communication errors, blocking errors, like all the stuff that can lose you a football game just came pouring out of the woodwork, and, and everybody was like, wait a minute, you had all summer to prepare, and this is what you came up with? Like, uh-oh. 
That sounds really familiar because that's what the Chargers went through with the Dolphins week one. Yes. Uh, you know, star cornerbacks making stupid penalties on Hail Marys before the half, running interceptions out of the end zone, um, blown coverages, just all kinds of stupid mistakes, uh, bad communication on the offensive line. They just look like they weren't ready. So that sounds really familiar. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, I don't wish it on anybody. Having sat through a lot of Bears bad football, especially over the past couple of seasons, it's not fun. Like, especially in our position, having to, you know, analyze this stuff, create content, try and bring people answers week after week. It it gets difficult. Sometimes you just want to throw your hands up. It sure does. There's definitely weeks where we just don't want to do the show at all. So yeah. I, I get it for sure. Um, so talk to me a little, bit about, a little bit about the offensive line. I know it's kind of a new group. They've moved some guys around a little bit, a lot of inexperience. Um, what are they doing to help those guys out um, and help them succeed? <laughs> Nothing. Uh, and it hasn't been, uh, it's not even the inexperience. That's certainly a factor. And it is the inexperience of the group together, regardless of veteran or rookie. But what's kept that a complete and sort of constant shuffle that's really just been the undercutting of the offense is injuries. They went into the offseason with a plan. They believed they had enough players uh, to avoid the situation they ran into last year, which was basically running out of offensive linemen about two-thirds of the way through the season and having to start guys basically off the street. And that was okay for where they were last year. There was not generally an expectation in a cost-cutting year that there was going to be a lot of success. But this year was supposed to be different. Top amount of money in free agency, plenty of draft picks, including your top draft pick being an offensive lineman. The Bears believed they were set at offensive line. And before they even got out of camp, injuries started to set in and then guys had to be rotated. Combinations didn't materialize that the Bears expected to see on the field. In fact, I believe they've started a different offensive line combination every game this year. They have not had wow. one week to week where all five were the same left to right. So last week, there was a glimpse of hope. Uh, last couple of weeks, there's been better success in rushing the football, especially last week. Again, not by plan. Tevin Jenkins has largely been the left guard, but the right guard is out, and they decided to flop Tevin back to playing right guard next to that aforementioned top pick, Darnell Wright. So they get two of the power players, two of the higher draft picks that they've invested, playing together on one side of the offensive line. And the results were pretty stunning. Uh, you know, if they ran to the right, they had 13 carries for 81 yards, 6.2 per attempt, and nine first downs. Really good by any measure. On the left, which was Cody White, Eric Guard, Larry Borum at left tackle, eh, not as much. 17 carries for 56 yards. That's 3.3 per and only two first downs. So running to the right, very good success. Running to the left looked kind of like the Bears running game look for the first month of the season. So a little bit of hope, a bright spot. We're we're big into those as Bears fans. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the kind of thing they wanted to see across the front five, left tackles out, left guards missed time, right guard brought over in free agency, hasn't been there. Center's been a rotating door, largely due to injury. Uh, it's just, it's been... It's been the thing that's tripped them up from the get-go. They have not been able to establish any consistency because, again, completely rotating cast every week. 
So if you were going to put together a plan for how to attack that offensive line, what, how would you attack it? Well, I, I think it comes together in terms of a defensive game plan that you can attack what Tyson Bajan did well and the running game at the same time. You can basically play press cover three, variations of press cover three. Um, and, you know, play like one rat if you're worried about any kind of passing to the tight end, but just smash everything in the five-yard zone and say, we're, we're just going to sit on everything. We're going to sit on all your short passes because we're not afraid of you throwing it over our head. We're going to play single high safety. We're going to mash everything, screen, flat, quick out, like everything in the five-yard area we're going to keep in front of us and just hit and then see if they can pivot to something else because right now they haven't showed that they can. So in that, you probably smash the running game, which puts the ball in Tyson Bajan's hands, which if I'm Staley, that's what I want to do. I want to put a rookie in his second start facing a very talented defense under pressure early and say, nope, we're not going to give you your comfort stuff. You know, no more security blankets. You got to, you got to throw the ball deep. You got to hit cover two holes. You got to hit crossing routes in man in tight coverage. Um, we're going to give you that. I, I realize the chargers haven't played a lot of tight coverage lately, but um, <laughs> that's what I want to do defensively is just press it right up in their face and mm -hmm. say nothing easy, no free releases, no screens, no outside zone. Look, if you want to try and slam us between the tackles, okay. But the Chargers have been much better defending the run this year. So I feel like that plays, if I'm the Chargers DC, I feel like that plays into my hands pretty well. Um, and then I just want to see if Bajant can break out of his shell and, and beat me with anything over the top. If he does, maybe I change it up. Maybe I don't. Yeah, that sounds fair. Uh, if the Chargers were covering better, I would be all about pressing more. Um, they can't, yeah, there's seem, that. they can't seem to do anything very well right now. So they are stopping the run. The, the run defense has been much better. Uh, but in terms of coverage, it doesn't matter. Zone, man, doesn't matter what they're doing. They're not having a whole lot of success. Now, this is a different wide receiver group than what they've seen in recent weeks. Obviously, DJ Moore is a star. But the rest of those guys seems like you can handle them one-on-one -on -one without too much trouble, I would think. So we'll see how that goes. It'll be interesting to see where they put the priority. It would be DJ Moore if I was there, but Mooney's little flash last week would definitely catch my eye as a defensive coordinator because he's a dangerous guy one-on-one -on -one because he's fast. He has legit speed, and if you don't have somebody with speed that can match, he can pry the top off. And even if that doesn't mean targets or deep completions, that means pulling guys with him, which should open up again what Bajan's really good at, those underneath routes, little outs to Cole Komet, DJ, um, maybe even Velas Jones, who's largely been used as a gadget player, but you know, you're going to have more room for screens, outs, quick hitches, things to get, I give him the ball into the hands of your playmakers and not put it all on Bajan's arm, but Mooney's going to pull that coverage out again. If you don't, if you just run with him one-on-one -on -one and Bajan hits one, you know, it could go all the way. He's got that kind of speed. So I would, I would worry about it a little bit, but yeah, that wouldn't keep me from doubling DJ right off the bat. Yeah. I, I'm thinking you almost have to bracket him and just make them go somewhere else. I would agree. You put the ball in his hands. He can, he can create yards from anywhere. And I think a lot of people tend to underrate DJ Moore largely because of his career arc, but he's proved he can win down the field one-on-one -on, -one on the boundary. He can win inside. He can win on the short stuff and yak. He can be very physical, is very physical after the catch. He can create yards in pretty much any way you need a receiver to do it. So 
again, if I'm the Chargers, I'm trying to limit that. I'm not trying to make sure he doesn't get any catches because he's going to get catches. He's the number one wide receiver. I'm trying to make sure that those catches don't hurt me. Right. Makes sense. So what's going on with the defense? I know when they hired Eberflus, his defense had a reputation for being disciplined. They tackled well. They did their job. Mm-hmm. Everybody know what knew what their role was. That doesn't seem like it's happening right now. So what's going on with the defense? It hasn't as much. And Eberflus's defense, I think the Bears, unfortunately, have come to find out, is guy-dependent. You need the dudes to run it. It's a fairly straightforward defense. He doesn't, he's shown a little bit more over the past couple of weeks in terms of versatility and willingness to flex. That was one of the major complaints through, you know, Alan Williams calling the first game. And then the next three games was that even though the Bears defense wasn't having success, uh, Iberflus didn't seem willing to pivot. He was just rushing for very few stunts, um, very few blitzes from the slot. You just didn't see any of it. So all you saw was four guys stand up, not win their one-on-ones because none of them are all-stars. And the Bears basically giving opposing passers a very long time, which is a recipe for disaster with really any NFL quarterback. What he, what Eberflus had in Indianapolis was a lot more talent and a lot more investment on that front line. Had better edge rushers, certainly had better defensive tackles. Now the Bears have some young ones, but they don't, you know, they don't have any DeForest Buckners. <laughs> so uh, if you don't have that, you got to scheme some things up. And we've seen a little bit more of that over the past couple of weeks, which has been really encouraging. We saw some slot blitzes with Britsker. Um, Kyler Gordon's back. He can be a very good blitzer from that position as well. Saw more twists up front. Um, haven't seen a ton of linebacker blitzes with TJ Edwards or Edmonds yet. Um, not really a thing that he does. He tends to bring pressure off the slot. Um, but we've seen some, and again, that's a, that's cause for celebration in Bears land. (laughs) Um, but that first month when he was just kind of stacking it up and saying, yep, we play the same way. Everybody knows the scheme. You're in your roles. It really seemed like it was, and I hate to say it because it's the most antiquated thing ever, but spot drop zone. It was not zone match principles. If it was supposed to be, that's not the way it was being played. And very little pressure up front. And when you combine those two, it's it's completely toothless. And uh, you had you know opposing offenses coming out of game saying, no, we we never changed the play because of something the Bears did on defense. Like, think about that. For an entire game, we never changed the play we came to the line with once. We just ran it. That sounds really familiar. He's still running basically a cover three defense for the most part, right? Uh, he's shown more too high, but again, injuries, they invested very heavily in the secondary. So it was one of the stronger position rooms in the bears defense in terms of, you know, last year's top two picks were a safety and a corner. And those guys both have a year of experience. Plus you're supposed to have Eddie Jackson back there. He's been injured. Brisker played very well as a rookie. Kyler Gordon really, uh, seemed to, I would say respond to being kept in the same spot in the off season. And they said, you're just going to be a nickel last year. They floated in between nickel and outside. And you know, he's, he's a very flexible defender there. And I think said, cool. I just get to be the nickel neat Jalen Johnson. Again, when he's been healthy, he's only missed one game this year. Uh, but when he's healthy, he's a top corner. Other cornerback slot was a question, but largely for a team like the bears, that's a stacked position room. Problem is they haven't all been on the field. Gordon missed time, Brisker missed time, Jalen, uh, Eddie's still out. Um, 
Jalen's missed one game. He's back now and looking very good. And, and you're seeing some guys return to health. So the secondary is starting to rebound a little bit. So the coverage is there. Hopefully with a little bit more of that mix up front, you get a little bit more pressure, but they still just lack dudes up front. Like they don't have the dudes to just stand up and say, we're going to beat you one-on-one. So they're going to have to scheme it up. And that means risks in the back end. Cause if you're going to bring an extra guy, you're going to leave a hole. Yeah, you're, what you're talking about now reminds me of the Chargers back when they had Gus Bradley as their defensive coordinator. They were running a lot of cover three. Teams would go in, key third downs getting converted, and you'd always have the quarterback after the game saying, we knew exactly what they were going to do. We knew exactly where the ball was going before we snapped the ball. Uh, it's a little different with Staley. Um, it's not so much that he's predictable and always running the same thing, but they just can't seem to execute what he wants them to do. So they're still getting what they want, but it's usually because somebody's making a mistake or blowing a coverage or whatever the case may be. Um, so it's been, it's been frustrating for a defensive minded head coach to come in and struggle this way to get guys to carry out his scheme. And what makes it even more frustrating is when they've had success, it's usually because he simplifies and he pairs things down. And usually his, the, the most success he's had defensively is when his stars are hurt and he has to pare it down. And as soon as they come back, he beefs it back up again and he goes back to doing his scheme and they just can't execute it. And he just doesn't seem to be able to figure that out, which has been very frustrating. Might sound strange to say, but it reminds me very much of Buffalo on offense. <laughs> so last year when Josh Allen hurt his elbow and everybody took a huge, you know, breath around the Buffalo area, like, Oh, are we losing our quarterback? And they had to pare it down and everybody else kind of like the bears last week said, Oh man, we got to pick it up. Josh isn't just going to be able to go out and win it with his right arm. Like, what are we going to do? They actually were more balanced and much more effective. And it was a, if you want to a pared down scheme for the quarterback, but offensively there was more balance. They ran the ball better. They kept on, you know, they, they kept on pace uh, in terms of with the sticks ahead of the sticks and through the middle of the season, they look more balanced and more effective. And we're like, this is what we've been asking for. Don't let Josh play hero ball. Sounds a little bit like Staley's defense. When he's down some starters, he goes, okay, okay. Back to base principles. Let's keep this simple. Everybody just stay in your lane, rally and tackle. And you're saying that's more effective. He gets his guys back and he's like, okay, razzle dazzle time. And you see breakdowns, you see lack of tackling and you see lots of, we were talking about this before the show, creative ways to lose games. Um, largely by the defense. And it's been, it is really frustrating because he did come in um, with that label. And I think sometimes that works against him, you know, defensive mastermind, defensive mm -hmm. wonder kid. Um, and for a while, it seemed like uh, they just couldn't stop the run. And that was like, well, if you can't stop the run, it's going to be a long day every day because opponents are just going to run until they, until you force them out of it. And they couldn't. The Chargers just couldn't ever. So it was like, okay, maybe they need some more guys. Maybe they need to change the scheme. They can finally stop the run. And now other things are breaking. <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, there's so much talent on that defense in there. Uh, the theoretical heights of where that defense could be. It feels a little bit like Cleveland to me with Jim Schwartz. Like we've been saying for a couple of years, like Cleveland's defensive roster is just loaded. They have guys on guys at every position, but that they're not performing. Right. Jim Schwartz comes in and like, Cleveland just tears the doors off the league 
for the first month. Uh, they've stumbled a bit in recent weeks, but like, oh, this is what we thought it could be. And I feel like the Chargers are in that same boat. It just, they haven't gotten over the hump yet to be like, oh, this is what we thought it could be because they have so much talent. Um, they've invested pretty heavily on the defense too. They have invested heavily, but I think they're lacking talent in key, in key positions. They're light at linebacker in terms of skill level. Um, Derwin is has been great. He has not been playing very well. He's been making costly mistakes with penalties in key moments. Um, and until recently when they brought in Dean Marlowe from the practice squad, they did not have a competent um, free, uh, free safety to play alongside Derwin. They were running Alohi Gilman out there, and Gilman is smart. He plays with good instincts. He's good at covering short areas, but you can't have him back there playing single high if Derwin's in the box. So that means Derwin's got to play deep, which is not what Derwin excels at. And now yeah. you've got a bunch of people playing out of position, and it just put them in some compromised positions. Yeah, that to me feels, if we're talking about the flip side, like the Bears offensive line, just because one guy goes out and you have this domino effect, and all of a sudden everybody's less effective. And with a guy like Derwin, who has an incredible range of skills, but is not particularly great single high or even too high deep one-on-one, like that's not what you want him to be doing to really have as much effect as he can. And if he, you know, has to be doing that, then it's, um, it's subtraction by subtraction. You're removing him from the run fit and he's not able to bring all those explosive plays on defense, which is really if you look at analytics, like how you stop drives, explosive plays on defense, sacks, fumbles, tackles for loss. Those are the plays that greatly influence drive success. And he's not going to have those 15 or 20 yards down the field. He might get a pass deflection, but they're just on to the next down. Right. Yeah. Where he's at his best is where he's playing in the box. He's coming out of the slot. He's able to blitz and rush the passer, affect the running game. And they just haven't been able to get that out of him this year, largely. So I think Dean Marlowe might help free him up a little bit. He's been playing pretty well, um, but they definitely need more out of Derwin and they need him to stop making stupid penalties. The, he, I think he's getting a reputation for being dirty and he's definitely getting targeted by the officials. So that's something he's got to fix. Yeah, we've got a flag target on the Bears. You're going to see him this week because I guarantee Kellen's going to go after him. And that's the, the rookie corner, Tyreek Stevenson out of Miami. Now, good physical player actually reminds me a little bit of Michael Davis in terms of the way he likes to play up in your face, press physical, really good at the line, uh, more straight line than, you know, agility and cutting. Uh, but early in his career so far, the rap was, Hey, he's, he's a handsy corner. He's going to have to adjust when he gets to the league because they'll flag him. And they have, <laughs> we haven't seen that adjustment yet. He is drawing flags. He's, he's drawn that reputation. I wouldn't say dirty, but certainly handsy. And he had a, a really slight bit of contact with the receiver last week. They gave him the flag anyways. And I'm like, look, man, I agree. That was a pretty soft penalty. But the way you've played for the first five or six weeks, you're going to draw those until you can prove that you can play without it. And they start to back off. And I mean, week over week, then you won't get those ticky tack ones. But right now you're a rookie. You've drawn a ton of flags over the first month. That's an easy call. Like you're just putting yourself in that spot and you're going to get what you're going to get. And be interesting to see how he adjusts throughout his rookie season. Again, physically very talented. Um, certainly the the youngest member of that secondary. A lot of potential, but I would be shocked. And I'm, I mean, shocked if Kellen doesn't just drill the ball in his direction until he makes a play. 
they need to find somebody to go at because it's not going to be Jalen Johnson. At least it shouldn't be. No, <laughs> I would not throw the ball <laughs> in Jalen's direction. He is dead competent as an outside solo one-on-one boundary corner. Like he is, he is custom made for that. Uh, the worry with him and the reason he slipped to the second round in the first place was shoulder injuries. He's had a little bit of that in Chicago, but when he's been on the field, he's earned his reputation. He came out uh, either yesterday or today in the press and said, I deserve to get paid like an outside top corner. He's right. Like, I don't have any argument with that statement. When he's in there, you have to worry about one less guy generally. So would you expect them to line him up on Keenan Allen then? Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> it's interesting. They don't tend to float corners. They don't tend to travel corners. So they play a side. Um, so, it, you know, again, if I'm Kellen, I'm not putting my best receiver over there because I'm going to waste a bunch of his reps. I'm going to put somebody to take up space over there. So whether that's Quentin um, and I'm just running him deep to keep him out of the play, like I'm, I'm using my pawn to try and take away one of their Kings on defense um, and I'm putting, you know, I'm putting Keenan on the rookie as many times as I can, as many times as I can manufacture that matchup. I want that because, you know, Tyreek's still learning and Keenan's been playing at a very high level. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to Ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. It's almost like you're in the Chargers playbook talking about running Quentin Johnston deep to, to pull coverage away from Keenan. And I mean, that's it's all not doing. the It's not what you want if you want production out of QJ. Um, we talk about this, that QJ had one narrow set of skills that he was the absolute best at in this draft. And it's short throws, largely turnarounds, put your numbers back to the quarterback, and then go make yak. And he, I mean, his, his yak average was like 8.7 per like, that's, that's redonkulous. I mean, nobody <laughs> else had numbers like that. So of course the chargers draft him and you go, sweet. We've got the big guys outside. They're going to put QJ in the slot. They're going to run all these little short concepts ins, stops, hooks, curls, and just let him burn DBs one-on-one. Cause he's a rookie. He's probably only going to draw one-on-one coverage, especially with those towers outside. And that's what we got him for. And instead, they just <laughs> run him deep and try and throw it over his shoulder. And that's not what he's good at. He's actually, I would say, below replacement level at that particular skill at this point in his career. He might learn it. He certainly has the physical skills to do it. It's not what he was asked to do in college. It's not where he excelled. It's certainly not why you drafted him in the first freaking round. Like, And you just bring him in and go, well, we want you to do something else. Like, yeah, why? What you really need for offensive consistency, given what's taken place over the first five or six weeks, is exactly what he brings. Like, he's going to move the chains on a lot of those throws, and yet you're not throwing them to him. So he's frustrated. He's losing confidence. He feels, I'm sure, like he's being sort of played out of place or out of role, and the offense is sputtering, like it's having all these high highs and then can't keep a drive going moments. So, Seems like those two things fit together pretty tightly, but they, for one reason or another, uh, they don't see what we see. So there you go. Yeah. We're, we're right back to not putting players in a position to succeed. Right. Because Bingo. Uh, when Mike Williams was healthy, even though he is the jump ball guy, they were throwing him a ton of screens, a ton of curls and slants, which is not his skill set. So when he got hurt, the expectation was QJ is going to slide into that role. It's right a perfect there. fit. He's going to be super productive and get the yak. And it's not even that they're trying to throw the ball over his shoulder. Maybe once a game, he's yeah. just a decoy. They're yeah, running they're clear routes. Yeah. It's to spend I, a first round pick on a guy like that and use him that way is so frustrating. Yes. 100% fully agree. Uh, even as a draft analyst who liked his game, like again, this, we talk about this all the time in draft prep landing spot is so important. And for years, we just talked about that with quarterback, right? That quarterback was, you know, we talked about it a little bit less with uh, players in other positions. The more I've done this, the longer I've done this, the more I've come to realize it's everybody. I don't care if you're, it matters a little bit less if you're a running back, but I don't care if you're a linebacker, like what kind of linebacker are you now? Are you a coverage linebacker? Are you blitzing linebacker? What kind of receiver are you? And if you go to the wrong spot or they don't understand what your strengths are, you're just not going to succeed. I don't care how good a football player you are. And Quentin Johnson, make no mistake, really good football player. But it almost feels to me like 
when the system came over from Dallas, they said, oh, we've got a big guy in the slot, C.D. Lamb. So we're going to take the big guy they've got over here in Mike Williams, and we're going to run him in the slot. Well, Mike Williams and C.D. Lamb are not the same player. <laughs> like, they're not. They kind of look similar in build, but they're not the same player. They don't play the same way. They don't have the same strengths. And so, again, you're getting that thing where you're putting players in – positions that actually limit the effectiveness of the rest of the crew because if you put mike inside you're putting qj outside and that's both of them you're, you're now losing on two players and so just swap them and see what you get and we haven't seen that yet and i'm with you uh it's frustrating it's interesting you bring up cd lamb um because one of the one of my co-hosts has a connection with the team and when they drafted qj a lot of us wanted them to draft zay flowers because he was we thought he'd be a better compliment to what they already had on the roster. Mm -hmm. um, and when they took QJ, my co-host guy told him, well, we see him as CD lamb. Um, Kellen Moore pounded the table for him and said, I need him to make this offense work. He's going to be my CD lamb. <laughs> okay. Not what's happening. <laughs> Let's see. It. Uh, I, you know, I would love that. And, and again, we're not in the room and we don't understand the rationale from our, uh, from the outside. It does not make sense. And there, you know, there's obviously things we all don't know, but from the outside, it seems like, hey, this one move will make everything around it better and will help solve some of your what I would call primary offensive woes for the Chargers, the inconsistency for drives. Like he is the guy you can throw it to. You can throw him a five yard curl on third and six, and he's going to get eight like all the time. And they just haven't found that sort of can opener power that he has or used it the right way, which is, I would say doubly frustrating uh, if those comments were made right after the draft, because you're like, I haven't seen it yet. Yep. Yep. It's uh, I, I don't know how to explain it other than just not understanding how to put guys in position. Um, but right now they're struggling to protect Herbert and he's oftentimes feeling a rush that isn't there even. Um, yeah. So if you're having a hard time getting guys open and there are no, you know, quote unquote, easy buttons for the offense, that seems like it's a pretty ready-made easy button, one that they apparently saw when they drafted him, but they're not using it. So I, I can't explain it. I've and they asked. need it desperately. Like the thing with Herbert and the inconsistency, and this was a question I was going to ask you and I'll ask it, you know, after I, throw this piece out which is herbert's average depth of target is third in the league and the farther down the field you go the lower percentage the throws are just i don't care who the quarterback is like the farther you get away from the launch point the less certainty you have of a completion and so they've got him heaving it down the field which we all wanted to see we all wanted to see justin herbert open up his arm but right now they're not completing enough of those to get drives rolling so it's again consistently putting more pressure on him you talk about protection problems and you're consistently behind the sticks, third and six, third and seven, third and 11. Like, and then you got to throw it deep again and your percentages just stack up lower and lower. And it's like, I feel like you need to pull that average depth of target in. Don't have it be third in the league, get him down to 15th, 16th, 18th in the league. That would be fine. And get some of those first downs, build a little bit of confidence, build a little bit of momentum get a couple plays that you're really good at. I feel like that's the one thing about Kellen Moore. I don't feel like he understands what Justin does really well right now. He, he knows some of those things, 
but it feels like those two in communication don't have that slate of just a couple of plays that they can go to when things get bad and say, Hey, this might not get us a first down, but we're going to get the completion. We're going to be, you know, there'll be third and short. We'll be fine. Like it's going to be rolling. We'll, you know, it'll build our confidence. It just doesn't feel like they have those go-to plays and most other quarterbacks and play callers, when things get rough, when things get off track, they're like, we're going to run slant flat. Like we're going to run whatever we run to get back on track. It doesn't feel like the chargers have that right now. So as a result, they end up, like fracturing a lot of drives, bunch of punts and never feeling like they're really gaining consistent push. What's the thing that you think the Chargers offense needs to gain consistency? And it could could be anything. I'm just opening the floor to say, what is it? Because they don't have it right now. That's a really good question. I would say it's kind of a cop out, but they need an identity. They don't have a run an identity in the running game, at least not one that works. Um they had a great game running the ball against Miami the first week of the season, yep. primarily behind a power running scheme. Mm-hmm. And then what have they done the last six weeks? They're running outside zone because somebody in that building thinks we have to run outside zone because that's what Shanahan and McVeigh run. And that's how we're going to be successful. Um, and so they're, they're asking, you know, their linemen are fine coming downhill. Mm-hmm. Their linemen are not as good playing laterally so they're asking guys to do things again that they're not suited to doing (laughs) and they're banging their heads against the wall wondering why it's not working so no identity in the running game and their identity in the passing game changes from week to week uh first few weeks they were throwing the ball horizontally a lot a lot of screens um you know a lot of manufactured touches for the wide receiver wide Mm -hmm. receivers i should say and even for um some of the running backs and that was opening things up deep to where they could, you know, kind of run some fake, some of those manufactured touches and then get the ball down the field. Those manufactured touches have gone away the last few weeks. And I don't know if they're, you know, I don't know what they're reacting to, but things that were working are no longer being used. And now they're asking Justin to stand behind an offensive line that is having major communication issues. And they're having a hard time passing off any kind of protection changes. Um, and asking him to throw the ball down the field and it's not working. You can tell he doesn't trust the offensive line. He's seeing and feeling ghosts in the pocket when there's no pressure there. He's double and triple pumping. He's resorted, reverted back to, you know, being basically a one to two read quarterback, staring guys down, um, forcing balls into tight windows. And you're seeing his interception totals go up. Whereas he was, historically not somebody who made bad decisions or bad throws. Mm-hmm. Now he's making bad throws into tight windows. You're seeing him overthrow guys. He's missing throws. He should be hitting in his sleep. The footwork is breaking down. He's throwing the ball off the back of his foot. He right now is broken. And so if he's not working and their whole identity for the last three years is four years has been Justin will save us and he's not working, then they don't have an identity. So they need to figure out some way to get the ball out of his hands a little faster, maybe introducing some more of those horizontal, you know, manufactured touches um, before you're looking to go vertical, reestablish the power running game with Eckler and Kelly, and even get Isaiah Spiller some touches in there. Um, Mm -hmm. I think they, they got to get Gerald Everett more involved. They're way too reliant right now on Keenan Allen. And obviously we talked about it. They have to get QJ involved one way or another. 
Yeah, it sounds like they could take a bay, uh, page out of the Bears book, you know, and expand it a little bit that they use for Bajan to just say, hey, we're going to we're going to reel it in a little bit. We're not going to go with deep, long developing concepts. If we're going to ask you to throw deep, it's going to be a, you know, single read, three step drop and throw it or not. Uh, but we're not going to ask you to hang in behind this line that is not protecting you. And we need you to hit short throws because the overthrows are the ones that have caught me off guard. Um, you know, the throws into tight windows, I get it. He's, he's been able to make those. He's not able to make those at the same rate right now, but the pure overthrows, I wonder whether it's the finger injury or mechanics or what it is, but like you said, he should hit those in his sleep. There've been some throws where guys were, wide wide open as as wide open as you get in any league and he sails it over their head by like three yards and that's not something we saw in the first couple of years or even at oregon and it's been very um that part's been vexing to me like dude you you hit that throw nine times out of nine over the past couple of years you didn't even come close like that that wasn't like oh you didn't give him a chance or he bobbled it like he couldn't even reach it and there were three or four of those last week that just kind of had me scratching my head as I went through the tape. And I was like, what is, what's going on? Something's not right there. Um, and even when he was, you know, broken physically last year, like super injured, he was still throwing with touch better than he is right now when he's, you know, presumably healthy except for the finger. So there's something going on there, but I'm with you until they sort of hit that stride. And I think they have to reduce to get there. Just ask him to do less not have that average depth of target so far, keep the low percentage throws low and just distribute a little bit more. But even in the distribution throws, he hasn't been as accurate as he was the first two years. So it's, I can see how it's kind of frustrating as a play caller. When you scheme something up, guys open, you have a quarterback that again, everybody assumes should hit that throw and he doesn't. Yeah. I mean, he's short hopping deep outs. He's overthrowing crossers. I mean, the, the throw that he overthrew to Keenan to end the game on Sunday. I mean, that ball sailed over his head by 15 yards. It was no chance. Uh, And he was wide open. I mean, the safety was over the top, but on a crosser like that, I mean, you can't get any more wide open than that. He overthrew him on a potential touchdown pass earlier in the game. Um, He's done that a few times where he's overthrown Palmer or Keenan down the sideline. There's just something I'm, I don't want to, I'm trying not to give him excuses because feel like last year it was, well, all of his guys are hurt. Well, his ribs are busted. His shoulder, his left shoulder's hurt. And that's all true. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is year four. There should be some progression in what he's seeing, what he's doing, how he's throwing the ball. And it seems like every aspect of his game is regressing. And some of that is offensive line related, but he has most of his weapons healthy now. Mm-hmm. He should be able to be hit these throws and make these reads and he's just not doing it. So it's, it's a little alarming. He's so talented. I'm sure he's going to get it figured out, but it kind of seems like defenses have figured him out to an extent and they, they understand what he does well and what he doesn't do well. And they're just forcing him to do the things that he doesn't do well. Um, And the coaching staff has not adjusted to that and they're not helping him elevate his game. Yeah. Super frustrating to watch. Feels a little bit like uh, we had this discussion on uh, the bootleg football podcast recap this week that 
the Patriots game last week, they did exactly what they wanted. They wanted to force the ball into Josh Allen's hands. And that's a weird place to be. That's a, that's a strange thing to want to do, but they know that if they do that right now, that he is not going to play with patience, that he is going to throw a couple up and they're going to be able to pick him off. And it feels like they're challenging Justin to go deep down the boundary to the one-on-ones and they feel good about that. And that's, Again, that's a weird place for it's a little strange. Game. <laughs> like, hey, yeah, sure, go ahead, guy with a rocket arm and a laser guidance system, have at it. And right now, that you know, the targeting system is off. He just can't do it consistently, and that's good enough to stop drives. So defenses are going to do it until he can. Yep, absolutely. What else you got for me? What else I got for you? I was going to ask you about the offensive line, but you already talked about that. So let's talk about one of my favorite players and and has been since he came out of USC. Tuli Tuipulotu. I was a huge fan in the draft. I believed he should have been drafted higher. I definitely wanted him as a bear. Uh, they could certainly use him. Um, <laughs> what have you seen from Tuli in his first, you know, six games, seven games with the Chargers? Uh, and you know, is there anything that you feel is, is wanting that you really wanted to work on, or is he just blown all your expectations away? He has really exceeded my expectations personally. Um, he has been a terror against the run. He sets a very physical edge. He's been really good at chasing guys down from the backside. Um, he, it seems like every week he's got a couple of tackles for loss. It's just like, wow, where did that come from? Uh, he's, you know, brutalizing tight ends. He's handling tackles extremely well. He's been a really good member of their, their stunt and, and, you know, off defensive line game packages. Uh, he and Mac and Bosa have teamed up for some really fun stunts, <laughs> uh, which he's been very disciplined at. He's giving himself up to get most Bosa and Mac home, which has been a lot of fun to watch. And he's getting home on his own. He, he was almost unblockable against the Vikings a few weeks ago. I mean, he was mm-hmm. all over the place. Um, and I think with the way he's developing and the way they're using him, it seems like with Bosa always being banged up and Mac, even though he had the six sack game a couple of weeks ago, Mac getting older and both of them being expensive, it seems like it's going to make it easier for them to move on from at least one of them in the off season. If things don't turn around for both of them here, um, you know, mo- most of Max sacks in that Raider game came off of stunts and twists mm-hmm. in, in which Thule took on two guys and Mac got home. And his unselfishness and the way that he's handling those stunts and twists has been really impressive. So he's been amazing, far better than what I thought he would be, already way more productive than what I expected, both in terms of pressure and sacks and against the run. He's been incredible. Yeah, such a smart player. I love him to death. Uh, one of those players that I fell in love with during the draft process and kind of said, I don't care where he goes. I'm going to follow his career because he's just, he's a great player, physical, smart, great leader, was a captain at USC. Um, stunts are a great example of that, um, especially when you're not the the payoff guy, the guy that should be getting free and, and get the sack. You have to have a technical understanding of what angle do I run this at so I keep the angle behind me as flat as possible. Like, what do I need to do, not just to occupy these guys, but to maximize that, right? To get there as quickly as possible and to basically, it's like a seal block for the defense, right? That's what you're doing is you're going Mm -hmm. in and sealing an opening so the running back, who is the other defensive end, can run around you 
it's like a pin and pull block, right? You're the, you're the pin. <laughs> and, <laughs> and Dooley understands that not only from a, from a mental perspective and a technical perspective, but also then can bring physicality to it and has retained into my eye, a lot of the power, even though he's a little bit lighter than they played him some years at USC, but he still is slamming guys around who are much larger than him. Just love him as a player. I think he's amazing. Um, you know, uh, definitely one of the hidden gems of this draft class. Talk to me about the secondary. Cause last year we sang the praises of Michael Davis as a guy that, you know, played one role, but you could count on that role and you could really almost pivot your defense around it. Like, mm -hmm. Hey man, we want you to go up and stuff that guy. We want you to go up and just jam that guy at the line and smother the living heck out of him. And then we're going to, we're going to base everything else, our rush, our coverage away from you, everything off of that, because we know you're really good at that. We can just count on you to do that. We're not going to count on you to run 40 yards down the field with a Tyree kill. Cause we know you're not good at that, but we need you to just smother people at the line and play a very physical brand of defense. And this year, they back him off like eight yards and let completions happen in front of him and say, you know, rally and tackle. And do you have any insight to that? Because that seems like just another thing that where <laughs> you had a guy that was performing at a super high level who we thought was wildly underrated because nobody would talk about him as a top corner because he was limited, but he was really good at that one skill. And the Chargers countered on it. It was literally a linchpin of the corner of their defense. And this year they're like, nope, you don't get to play press. Uh, his press rates are way down. What's up with that? So, I mean, they have asked him to play press at times and he's been really bad at it. They've asked him to play zone <laughs> at times and he's been really bad at it. <laughs> um, so he's been really volatile. Um, and you're right. Last year, you know, he, when JC got hurt and Davis came in, it flipped the defense on its head. Um, because they knew they could rely on Davis to play a lot of press and just smother mm -hmm. people. And he did a great job of it. And that's part of what we were talking about earlier in terms of Staley simplifying things when guys were out. JC yeah. went out and it was like, okay, well, we can't be super complicated. Let's just let Mike beat the crap out of people at the line and, and smother him. Because <laughs> that's so all true. he can do, right? And, and it then, was so fun. <laughs> and it was fun and he did a great job of it. And they were that defense was phenomenal down the stretch. Now, a lot of that was, in my opinion, competition-based because they were playing some bad teams down the stretch. Sure. Um, he played great games against the Niners and against the Dolphins last year. And a lot of the other games they were playing were against bad teams. But they, they leaned into what he did well. And then he got hurt in the playoff game, and it completely flipped that game on its head, and they had to completely change their coverage schemes because they didn't have that press corner anymore. Um, yeah. and that played a huge role in them losing that game to Jacksonville because it just shot their game plan completely. Um, this year he was rotating with JC Jackson. They were, I think, trying to figure out who was going to be playing that spot and they were rotating guys and neither guy was happy with the rotation. And Davis came out after like week two and had some comments about, you know, it's really hard to get into rhythm. If you're not playing all the time, I'm not playing enough. I need to be on the field more. And they immediately benched JC made him inactive. Mike started getting all the reps, I think hoping that he'd play better and he just hasn't. Mm -hmm. And it, you can't have him play press if he's not getting the jam and he's missing a lot of jams. And once yeah. he misses the jam, he can't redirect. So no. then you're toast. Yeah. So now they're backing him off, just trying to keep guys in front of him, but he can't do that either. 
So uh, there's just no simple answer for Mike because he's just not playing good football. He looks lost. He looks completely confused in zone. Uh, he's lost all of his confidence in that press game. He can't get his hands on people and he can't change directions. So where does that leave you? <laughs> That's that is super frustrating. And I think that probably, you know, you said it. The simple answer is he's not playing good football right now. And that happens for guys like hitters go through slumps in baseball. Like, you know, golfers lose their swing or they can't putt. Like it, it just happens. And you got to kind of play your way out of it. That's the only answer is you just have just got to play better. It's a lot of times we're looking for a more complicated answer. And the answer is pretty simple. You just got to get back to basics. You got to play better. And so last one I've got for you is tell me somebody on this team that I should be looking at that you think is playing better than they're getting credit for. That's easy for me. I've already mentioned him a couple of times. Dean Marlowe. He's playing uh, free safety for the Chargers right now. He came in from the uh, from the Steelers, somebody's practice squad, and was out of the practice squad right at the end of camp, um, mm -hmm. and then stepped up when Gilman got hurt. And he was phenomenal against the Raiders three weeks ago. They had him playing single high. He played two high with Raheem Leonard because Durham was out. Uh, he was bracketing guys. He was playing man on man. Uh, and he did everything well. He came within a hair of a couple of interceptions playing in the deep middle. Uh, he's been fant fantastic against the run. He was really good again against the Cowboys. Didn't show up as much this week um, against the Chiefs, but he's been really good. And I think his presence has allowed them to be a little bit more flexible with Derwin and not have him play so far away from the line of scrimmage. So he's the guy that I would say has really stood out to me as somebody who I had no expectations for when they brought him up because of the injuries. And he's really exceeded expectations and has played really well. That's such a pleasant surprise when that happens, when you get um, a lesser known player who gets an opportunity and just really rises to the occasion. Um, he's looked really comfortable back there. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so much of what matters because it is such a high leverage spot. Like if you miss it's touchdown. Like that's, that's your gig back there. You're deeper than the deepest. And if you're not comfortable running with guys uh, and look, it's a league full of athletes. He hasn't looked, he hasn't looked like any moments really too big for him. And I think that's a huge relief to the chargers. So great pick. Yeah. I mean, he's been fantastic. And you know, the first couple of weeks, he just kind of blended in. You didn't really notice him very much. He flashed a couple of times against the run. And then against the Raiders, he flashed twice playing deep. Like I mentioned, um, didn't, I don't remember him making any huge mistakes against the chiefs this week. I think he had a couple of run stops. Um, he's just been active and he's been where he's supposed to be. And he's, like I said, he's blending in and he just looks comfortable and confident and he understands the scheme, which I'm not sure a lot of the guys back there do. So that really helps. It's a great report card for a safety. You didn't know he was back there. He flashed a couple times against the run. It's all good. Like yep. that's, it's kind of like <laughs> offensive linemen, right? If you didn't notice a terrible thing happened to him, he probably did okay. Absolutely. So what what's your prediction for this game? How do you think this game ends? <sighs> well, the Chargers have had a lot of trouble getting out of their own way against all kinds of opponents, really quality opponents. And I wouldn't necessarily say the Bears are that. Bears seem like they have some energy going for the first time all season. If the Chargers can't stop the short stuff, and I think they might be able to just on strength of talent, um, you know, just the edges alone, like that's going to be a challenge for a banged up offensive line. If they can't shop, stop the short stuff, 
I think they win a close one. If they can stop the short stuff, I think this one actually might be lopsided towards the Chargers. You got a score for me? Um, <laughs> Chargers have struggled to score <laughs> points. I'm going to say 24-17 Chargers. If they don't, if the Chargers don't come out and smother this offense and cut off that short passing game, I might put my remote through my TV because <laughs> I can't. Please don't. Please don't. I, I I can't understand a defensive minded head coach not having that game plan against this offense. So I'm going to say they come out and they play a lot of press and they smother. I'm going to say Chargers 27, Bears 17. Okay. Chargers get their Similar first two outlook. There you, oh, there you go. That again, small, <laughs> small victories, small victories. <laughs> we'll take what we can get. That's right. Well, EJ, I really appreciate you coming on. I, I had a lot of fun. I hope you had a good time. I had a great time. Thanks for having me. I'd love to come back anytime. I realize this is a sort of once in four year occurrence, but no, anytime. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. It doesn't have to be a once in four year occurrence. We'll definitely do it again. I thought you were fantastic and I'm sure our audience is going to love it. So thank you. Oh, you're absolutely welcome. All right.